0: Grind grind, that's all I know. Find a time to quit on no matter good or bad, still I go. I never crack in the pressure. I can't be broke. Sun up to the sun down, map it out, not running down. May weather I never lose. I be making the more Sun up to the sun down, map it out, not running down. May weather I never lose. I be making the more Bulletproof mafia, what's up? Hey, it's your boy Michael. Launching off with another episode today. I was thinking about. I haven't been titling the episodes inside of it. You know, again with the whole "What's up, everybody?" I'm Michael Munsterman, and this is the Bulletproof Mafia. Today's episode: Stop copying off of my test. Now, when I'm when I'm talking about that, when I'm talking about um, stop copying, whenever I in the the heading here, I'm like, "Look, you remember when?" I know for me, this was a big deal. So in my book that's going to be coming out very soon, uh, and I've been saying that I think now for 12 months and I'm getting fucking frustrated. I'm really not. I'm just like antsy and I'm, I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to like share this with the market, but, um, we're really making sure that it's polished and good. All right. So anyway, here's the thing. In my book, I've got this little section about a teacher of mine, one of my favorite teachers of all times, her name was Mrs. Castleman. And I walked into a room and and she was an absolute bear cat. She was a total rip at first, but what the more that you were in her class, the more you realized that she just did that to intimidate the shit out of the weaker, like the the weaker students, the ones you know what I'm talking about, the insecure ones that would cause trouble and try to like get all the attention. And a lot of situations that was me, but something about the way that she came at us kind of put me on my heels a little bit. I'm like, wait a second, I like your approach. I recognize that you're kind of being a bitch, but I also get that you're doing it on purpose. And and then when I got to know her, I, like, you, you discover that, wow, this lady loves her students. And so I've got total respect for those teachers, for the teachers who the passion is for students. And look, some people would argue, hey, teachers don't make it enough money, and so any teacher should be praised, but it's just not true. I don't give a shit. There are teachers who really should be ripped from the school system. And the only reason that they're not is because they have tenure. So tenure happens for teachers. If most people know this, I think most teachers are on some sort of in some sort of a a teacher's union. And after five years in their agreement, the school can't fire you without lots of cause. It's damn near impossible to fire a teacher, right? Like I, I've I've been involved in situations where probably a teacher should have gotten fired. She she or he didn't. Uh, whatever. It's because they couldn't. Like it's not possible. Like I I had a teacher shove me up against a wall in middle school, and like veins popping out of his face, calling me a liar, shoving his fingers into my chest. And and in this one particular situation, I actually wasn't at fault. And I told him that I wasn't, and he just flipped the fuck out on me. That dude should have lost his job. No kid should leave the presence of a grown-ass man completely trembling and in tears. Mrs. Castleman scared you, but she loved you. And it was just so, it was such a, it's, it's like such a tribute to the love that some educators have. But I want to tell you about a different teacher. One that has a special place in the darkest corner of my soul. Um, I lost my dad, which if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know, my dad died when I was seven years old. And it just it shattered me. It was like somebody took a hammer and threw it through the glass of my soul. And it took a long time f- for the people around me to piece me back together. But in first grade, I had a saint of a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Moore. She didn't do much for me, right? Like all she had all the students write cards and she brought them to me while I was you know while I was mourning the loss of my father. And and then when I came back to class, she gave me extra space because she knew okay he's struggling and. And, and she just, she loved on me. Something small, right? Her and her, her daughter, who I became friends with in high school, you know, um a, like a French friend. But, like, we knew each other. We grew up in the same town, whatever. But anyway, her and her daughter took me, like, to Hardee's. And, 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 like, these little things that you don't think kids, it doesn't matter to kids. And I'm just sharing this story to get to this next teacher, right? Second grade. Oh, man. And look, if, if you're out there <laughs> and you're listening to this and you think, Wait a second. I was Michael Munsterman's second grade teacher. Good. I hope you hear this because you were the worst, like the worst thing that happened to me pre seventh grade. Like, that's a, that's a, that's quite a title. If you think about it, like, if, if you think about, if I had to think before I was seven years old, is there anybody who I felt tormented by? It should never be an educator. Like, kids are mean naturally, but educators shouldn't be. And again, I was a shit show. Right, like I was a troubled little kid. And one of the things that I couldn't help from doing was to look around me. I couldn't help myself. When I, especially when I was younger, but definitely clo- the closer to the tragedy I, I was, the worse of a mess I was. And I got farther away, and I lived under this umbrella of I could get away with shit because I'm that kid. But. um I became more and more internalized. It was a decision to act that way and not uncontrollable pulses. And that's where I, was, where I was in second grade. And the people who showed me compassion and love were the people that I respected and followed. But the people who like, were mean to me, oh man, I was, I was an absolute shit of a child. And that was that was this lady. I'm not gonna call her out. I remember her first name or last name. I can tell you a lot about her. We were in the same community. I've talked about her in other situations where, like, I've fed their family at my restaurants. I've, I've, like, I've sold their family products in different companies we own. I know that. I just do. Um, but anyway, I couldn't help but look around. I couldn't help but look around when she was talking. I couldn't help but look around whenever it was time for homework. I couldn't help but look around whenever we were test taking. Like I would look over and like I would cheat. I would I would want to copy. I would want to talk to my neighbor. I and, and sometimes I would just want to talk to my neighbor to pick their brain about, "Okay, what are you going to write on that?" or "What are you thinking about that?" or "What are you" and our teachers, especially this one man. She took up this cardboard box and she shoved me inside this cardboard box and moved me over to the edge of the room. Tons of recess away from me like really was just like I'm going to teach this like really her mentality was I'm going to break this kid that was her goal and she did she broke something something very special a little corner in the bottom of my soul where she gets to hang out until I get over this which doesn't sound like I am but really I'm good so anyway. This is a big rabbit hole. Phil tells me that sometimes I rabbit hole on shit and like I'll bounce all around a story and then I'll drive the point home and you're like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. But I didn't need the seven minute story to get there. So he's back behind the camera right and I can see that he's smiling because he knows that he's been thinking this for a minute. So I'll get to it. We as kids were taught to sit at our desk with our eyes down and do our own work. The reality is, is that that's absolute horseshit. It's one of the very worst things that you could possibly do. And I feel like inside of the game of life, there are only four or five categories. And inside of the game of business, there are really four. And I wrote them down because I I wanted to be able to sail through them. And, And the first one is mindset. The second one is money. The third one is marketing. And then finally, for me, the last one is mafia, right? Family. Now, there's others. But inside of business and what really leverages and scales and influences your success in business are those four categories. Now, I want to talk about a subject inside of marketing specifically. The same theory, the same thing that I want to talk about would apply to all different categories, but I use an acronym when it comes to marketing and the acronym is TIME, T-I-M-E, which stands for Theory, Identity, Mechanics, and Execution. Theory, identity, mechanics, and execution. And inside of theory, it really shouldn't be theory. It should it should be more like time tested proven. You see, because in this world, even though we've been taught, we like we've been taught absolute bullshit. We've been taught that you should invent something, or that you should pioneer, or that like and, and think about it, there's reward in that. Like the 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 pioneers literally the pioneers who went from east to west across the U S hunting for gold and ended up in California and the California Gold Rush and all of that like the people who actually hit gold were pioneers and it was successful for them and lots of people followed those pioneers and they weren't successful so history teachers they latch onto this conversation of look um. Pioneers, like the pioneer, the gold rush, like that was, they, they, they talk about the big wins and they talk about the influence, but they don't, what they don't talk about is that a lot of the people who were successful in the gold rush weren't pioneers at all. And in fact, most people, most successful businesses aren't the pioneers. You've heard the, the expression, research and develop. And this is what we've been taught. This is what we were taught to do when we were sitting in our desks in in elementary school. We were taught to research or be educated and develop our own work. Don't don't collaborate. Don't look off of your neighbor. Don't ask questions to 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 the to the students around you. Ask to the instructor or, or ask to the professional. Play by the rules. Do, do what's right. And inside of the game of business, you have an opportunity to really to shift the way that you think about that. Think about the way that you were taught and how the real world fucking works. And the way the real world works is this. When you see somebody who is successful in an area, you get to evaluate if they're delivering their product and service to the world the best that they possibly can. You don't live like I had to live in second grade inside of a cardboard box. You can tear that shit down and look all over, but some of you are so stuck on the concept that you have to keep your head down and you have to pay attention to your own work that you can't look up and see what's working for other people. You think that the only way to be successful is to listen to the teacher, listen to the coach, pay, pay the expensive dollars, do the things that you need to do. Like, like I'm going to pay the piper in order to get wealthy. And because the marketplace recognizes that all of these people are willing to pay for you to teach them, they're not focused on the things that they need to be in order to be successful. They're focused on the hack. They're focused on the guru. They're focused on the scheme. They're focused on the network marketing company and and the get-rich-quick schemes or the pyramids or whatever you want to call them. They're focused on the shortest path in their mind of being told how to be successful. It's not research and develop. Hell, it's not even research and copy, which is what I would suggest you do. It's just blindly following somebody who's profiting from you paying them to teach you how to make money. And so when I'm talking about marketing, I'm talking about theory, and I'm talking about R and C versus what I, like R&D, research and develop versus research and copy. Why is that under theory? It's under theory because of this, because I think that there's really going to be a split sheet there's going to be a certain group of people on one side of the sheet who say I think what he just said is genius and there's going to be people on the other side of the sheet who are going to say what I'm saying right now is bullshit. There there there's literally a book it's called Blue Ocean Strategy. And the Blue Ocean Strategy says this. If you want to get really really rich, be like Uber. Go out and create this company that 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 that, that fills a service that no one else has filled yet, right? Like, right? Like taxis didn't exist or something. But the fact is is that taxis did exist. Uber just recognized somebody else was already doing it, and they decided to do it better. They de- They developed a better system. They researched, they copied, but then they improved. This falls into marketing because the way that we market, the way that we grow companies, The way that we go into business and succeed when our competition's failing all around us is we learn how to do what they're doing the way that they're doing it by hacking whatever data points we can grab in the marketplace by literally whenever I wanted to get into the car business, I pretended to be a consumer and I went to over 20 different dealerships. Not because I wanted to buy a bunch of cars. Not because I wanted to go create my own blue ocean, but because I wanted to see what they were doing and what they were doing well. What did they say that gave me comfort and peace? What did they do when I walked in that made me feel welcomed into their environment? I went to all sorts of different dealerships, great big expensive ones. We thought about buying a great big dealership that was vacant, like a, a new, a, it had previously been a new car store. A multi-million-dollar purchase. Start a dealership there, but what I found was, for most people, when they walk into that great big new place, they're very intimidated. And then I, I like, I went into the to like the the worst fucking rat hole dealerships you could ever imagine. And I walk into these places, and some fat ass is sitting in a chair with his feet kicked up on the desk, and his big old fat belly barely got his shirt tucked around it because he doesn't do shit to make his life better, arms back behind his head. And he's got this false sense of security and this false sense of pride and this false sense of self-worth. And you know how you can tell it's false because he's got this big-ass fucking fake gold chain hanging around his wrist and the big old gold necklace and the slick back hair from 1973 or some shit like that. He's got the big gold lion ring and the Masonic Lodge ring on the other hand. And it's just all about this me. Like if not a cigarette, then a toothpick. Like I'm talking about like who you think about when you think the shittiest used car salesman you've ever met in your life. And then I walk into another dealership and I've got some young guy who's extremely humble and friendly and communicates clearly and talks to me and listens to me. And there's not an ounce of arrogance in the conversation. And I think you, sir, are somebody that I, that I resonate around. You are are somebody who I would like to see in my environment. You are the catalyst to the culture that I'm going to create. But I didn't just like, I didn't just magically think, well, I'm going to just go out and research and develop. I didn't stick my head down and think, yeah, what kind of salesman do you want? Well, I really think I want, no, I had to go out and experience it. I had to research so that I could copy. And then I went through that process with that, with that kid. And then I went to another dealership and found somebody like him. I would literally walk away from one salesperson to find somebody else that matched that kid closer. When I say kid, like I mean like twenty something young guy, maybe married, maybe not. Um, very polite, very humble, very generous, very thoughtful, very well spoken, but soft spoken. Like I started to look for these very defined characteristics. I was I was doing my research and then I was copying. Onto the next dealership. And I would find, oh, he did something the other other guy didn't do. That's really fascinating. And so I would follow that, that vein of gold. We're back to the gold rush conversation. I'd follow that vein of gold because I didn't have my head down. I had my head up and my eyes open. I wasn't thinking research and develop. That's horse shit. I was thinking research and copy. Look, you can research and develop all you want. Go raise several million dollars and take the hardest path to money that there possibly is. Follow a very complex algorithm that says, hey, for your first three to four years in business, you're not going to make absolutely any money whatsoever. In fact, you do a, a a reverse bell. So you dip, you go into a negative equity position bigger than shit, and you hope to someday build and, and, and claw and climb your way out of that. And that method, that the way that that's being taught is why only 18% of any company out there makes it to year number five. Because they can't pull their heads out of their asses to recognize that you don't have to do that. What you could do is research and copy. I mean, think about the most successful businesses in the world. They do the exact same thing, the very best evolved way that they possibly can, and they duplicate it from store store to store to store to store to store to store to store You can buy a McDonald's franchise and make a lot of money. And you think, well, I own this franchise. This is my business. But when McDonald's figures out that the economy is shifting and changing and evolving, and they copy where things are going, and they do a complete store revamp, would, did you know that you don't have a choice? If you're McDonald's franchisee, you have to evolve with the brand. It's a fact. Like, There's no, there's no. well, I'd rather not. They don't, they don't give a shit. They say, hey, if you, if you don't want to do it, we understand. We own the dirt. We'll just get another franchisee to come in and fill the spot. But we told you that this would eventually happen, and now it's happening, and so you need to make sure that you're in a position to do it. And it's not a joke. Like, a lot of McDonald's franchisees will fail. Now, there's a list of them who will soak that location up, and they'll do whatever McDonald's tells them, and they'll take that over. So you, as the consumer, never see that. But it's because research and copy is the way to, to, like, the first few rungs of wealth. There are guys out there, when you think about it, um, your Mark Cubans of the world, your, you know, I'm thinking Shark Tank, Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderfuls, your, like, your Bill Gates, your Steve Jobs, these guys, they're developers. They're on the front lines. And even those guys, when you watch how they operate and communicate inside of the tank, or you read their books, or you listen to their podcasts, or you read the, the memos that they put out, or you read the information that's being leaked, or whatever, whatever your source of data is, you'll see that even those guys don't often, want to be pioneers. Now if there's something that fills a need and they recognize that it's scalable, yeah, sure absolutely we'll go deep to go to scale up, but very very seldomly. Can can an entrepreneur walk into the Shark Tank and say I'm pre-revenue and have any traction with those sharks? Because because being a pioneer is a fake ass theory. So I'm just trying to plant this seed in your head because as I continue to evolve this conversation inside of the Bulletproof Mafia, I want you to start to look for opportunities that you can apply these theories to your life so that you can position yourself to make a lot of money and scale. And what you need to do is stop thinking about inventing the next greatest idea ever and back yourself into a position where you start to think about, wait, what is working around me and how could I do it better? The first million dollars that I ever made, I was working for a dude and I was buying heaters or at first I was just selling heaters. I was selling these little heaters as an employee, as a 1099 contract employee. And then I had an opportunity to buy some heaters. I started buying heaters. I started selling heaters and, and I was just following their system. Whatever they did, I did. If they did something, I did something. I would take and I would tweak and change a little bit because I would see areas that I could make it better. And then there was a point where like it was blatant, these great big things that they could do to make their business way better. And I think that year I had made up to that point maybe $50,000 selling these heaters for these guys. I had sold, personally, I had sold maybe 1,000 or 1,500 heaters, which means that I had made them a couple $300,000. And so then I decided to buy heaters and sell heaters. And so I I did that in the first year doing that, like it was the next step up, right? I, I think we made six or eight hundred thousand dollars that year. I'm talking profit in these, in these conversations. And 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 at the end of that winter, I thought, man, there are some things that you could do. And if you would do it, I would probably make a million dollars. And If you would do it, I could also scale my business and your business would grow too. And so my wheels started turning. I started thinking, man, well, this is a really good business and this really good opportunity. And so I sat for the next two or three weeks and I wrote this really elaborate business plan. I delivered it to him and I said, hey, if you'll do this, I think you'll make a lot more money, and so will I. I emailed it. It took me weeks to draft that. And within just a couple hours, I got an email back and it was literally two sentences long, and it said this. If you think you can be me, go raise a few million dollars and knock yourself out. Well, you see, I'd already zeroed in on the concept of research and copy. And I knew the business model. And in fact, I had went on ahead and I had written my own version that was way more than 50% again better. And in my next two years, my heater company and by the way, it didn't take millions. It took $120,000. My heater company sold more heaters than his had or has since. The next year, we there was it was well over $2 million in profit. I was 29 years old. And I'm, I'm not telling you that to brag. I'm telling you that because I'm not just making this shit up as I go. I have a resume of experience that says I know what the fuck I'm talking about. And all most people have who listen to this and most people who think about, man, I'm not happy with where my life is, the biggest thing that they have on their resume are excuses. So I need this to really soak in for you. I need you to open your eyes and look around at your world and see where there's a need that's being filled, but it's not being filled as efficiently as it could be. Research and copy that shit. Do it better. Your teachers were wrong. Open your eyes and look around. Savvy.